In a world where heresy blankets the airwaves, religious stuffed shirts suck the life out of Sunday morning, and prosperity teachers rob grandmothers of their pensions, three unassuming ministers endeavor to shine the light of biblical theology and put the fun back in fundamentalism. Broadcasting live from the Hall of Dogma... Brought to you this week by good friend of the show, Martin Luther. Welcome into episode 95 of the Gospel Friends. I am the Reverend Verbage. Oh, wow. The Reverend Verbage. I, I kind of like that. Well, I am the Captain Crunchy. I did that one time before. You guys really enjoyed it. Like the Ohio State, the Reverend Verbage, and the Martin Luther, who nailed how many theses to the... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I know. Uh, uh, 90, 98 and a quarter. That is correct. That's why he's brought to us episode 95 of the Gospel Friends. Where did he... You know, I find it I find it shocking that as long as Martin Luther has been a friend of the show, we have never had him and, or uh, John Calvin join us. Uh, well, I, I represent Calvin as often as I can. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, now, Martin Luther, we actually have a Luther... Green that we were bought for our studio, which we haven't been in, but uh, the the general brought, bought us a Martin Luther figurine that would go in our studio. Uh, that is a fine figurine too. He just needs to be put together. Do you think we'll we have the engineering chops to accomplish such a thing? <laughs> I probably could do it. So okay. uh, October third, fifteen seventeen, that. Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the All Saints Church door in Wittenberg. Or, or Wittenberg, if you're a German. Yes, which I'm, I'm uh, sparking the Reformation. That helped bring you the Gospel Friends. So. That's right, that's right. Especially the Gospel Friends minus Nick. <laughs> well, that's true. Nick's still on an extended sabbatical. Uh, yes, uh, and we are obviously not in the normal studio, as some people pointed out last week. I think someone posted in our Facebook group, the Hall of Dogma, which you can get to at hallofdogma.com. But they posted, brought to you this week by two tin cans and a string, episode ninety-three or whatever it was. So that was pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, that, that was pretty good. I, th- I think they're going to do that again this time because David, I'm, I'm afraid it sounds like you're uh, you're on your old. Hayes 300 baud modem calling in through uh, a 56k connection uh, via America Online. Oh uh, well, that's not good. That's, that's no, not, that's not good. Your your normally dulcet tones sound uh, pretty statically and disconnected, but just the fact of the matter is here lately uh, the 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 war against crime and evil is is such that. We just can't – we don't have the time to get together in studio and record. Well, we haven't recently, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, you, you can write all of your criticisms to AT&T, who the exceptional internet service that I'm afforded at my home. 
I lived in that home for a few years, and uh, I've never considered acts of terrorism before in my life. But I would, uh, I would sometimes in that house think about: Is there anything I can do on a grand sort of global scale to get AT and T to pr- uh, improve their internet service to that place? And I, I never did follow through with it, but uh, I was uh, allured by the dark side there for a while. Well, maybe one day we'll be able to get back in the studio, and maybe one day I will tell the story about the night I finally discovered you were living inside of my home. Um, okay, that sounds like an interesting story. Well, you said you hey, used to live here for a while, and I did. So I lived I was there the for a longer than you have. Yeah, so tell the story <laughs> about when I discovered you were living here and had to kick you out. Hey, speaking of of telling stories, did you happen to catch uh, episode uh, ninety four of the Gospel Friends? I think I was uh, part of recording that, I believe. I, I know, but did you happen to listen to episode 94? No, I did not, no. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think so. Why? Those, uh, those are, I thought those were a pretty funny joke at the end. But, oh, uh, really? Uh, I, I haven't heard any feedback on it, so so I just I figured maybe you hadn't listened to it. So I need to go and, and listen to it is what you're saying. Ah, you know, maybe so. Maybe maybe you said something kind of weird at the end of that episode. I'll just I'll just kind of leave it at that. Well, I will go and and check that out at some point, and we'll have Let's, we'll have one more download. There you go. Hey, that that's that's all I'm in it for. It's just the downloads. Hey, speaking of podcasts, and then we're going to talk about uh, a little bit of April April foolery. But uh, I, I have been plugged into a new podcast. Um, by uh, a member of our church, but uh, good old Mike Rowe, uh, who is not a friend of the show, but I wish he was, but Mike Rowe has started a podcast called That's the Way I Heard It, or The Way I Heard It, and uh, he, it is kind of in the vein of the old Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. Uh, podcasts are only about seven or eight minutes long, but in, in, in the way Paul Harvey used to, he will tell a story, and then... Um, kind of at the end, it has the the hook, if you will, or the the big reveal of, of a piece of information he was leaving out during during um, the first part. So, anyway, if you like the old Paul Harvey, uh, the rest of the story, you can check out that Mike Rowe podcast. It's pretty pretty cool, and I'm sure he needs subscribers. He probably doesn't have as many as we do. No, probably not. Look, stories are hot right now. Uh, and that's why at the end of this show, I'm going to share the story of the time I broke up a literal fist fight between uh, Mark Driscoll and the Pope. Okay, I remember that. Uh, yeah, I mean that was that was a little shocking. Hey, speaking of uh, stories that aren't true, uh, this past Friday uh-huh. was April the first, commonly known, at least here in the U.S., as April Fool's Day. I don't actually know if they celebrate April Fool's Day all over the world or not. Um, that's actually... A, they should. Do you know if they do that? Is that a... I, I do know, but uh, I'm not going to tell you. Okay. Well, if, brought to you by Hopes.com. Maybe some of the best internet April Fool's Day jokes. Uh, beginning with the Smithsonian here in the United States, the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum announced that it had decided to breed tribbles in a program lasting 24 hours. Now, Chase, do you know what tribbles are? I am familiar. Uh, tribbles are a alien creature made famous in the Star Trek universe, if I don't miss my guess. Uh, that is correct. Uh, I personally did not know that, since I am not a 
Star Trek fan, but the Smithsonian announced on Friday that they were piloting a triple breeding project in celebration of Star Trek's 50th anniversary. Uh, after 50 years, <laughs> we decided it was time to bring Tribble back, so we've worked with several specialized veterinarian schools and zoos uh, in order to create a special diet, and then it was easy. We just fed them and let nature take its course. Um, that probably would that, have that been... That means they made it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, why did they have to... I didn't think you might understand that part. I was going to help you. Why did they have to feed them first? Uh have you ever tried to never mind <laughs> yeah let's let's maybe move on how about visit dot com the smoky mountain website uh for the uh smoky mountain uh mountain range here in the united states uh they posted an article that a an active volcano had been discovered in the great smoky mountains national park underneath mount Lacante, if i'm saying that correctly the tallest peak in tennessee uh, according to VisitMySmokies.com, um, the time frame for Mount Lacante's eruption remains unknown, and the severity of a potential eruption is contested. Um, but there's a uh, good chance that uh, one uh, the eruption would be rather soon. Uh, again, April Fool's joke. Uh, I don't know if anyone fell for that one or not. Well, I, I do apologize to all of our listeners in Tennessee, which I believe is the number five or six uh, state for us in, in terms of state popularity. It's it's up there uh, for David's uh, mispronunciation in a French sort of way of Mount Leconte. It's not Leconte? It's not, but uh, that sure does sound kind of spiffy. It has an E on the end of it. Why is the E not long? Leconte. I think, I think we Americanized it seeing as how – it's in America. Yeah. That's just my guess, though. Okay. Uh, well, continuing on, the uh, two lifestyle magazine stirred a pot with an article that Disney would no longer allow anyone into its theme parks that were sporting visible tattoos. That from now on, Disney would require uh, guests to wear long sleeve shirts, long sleeve pants, long sleeve pants, long pants, uh, scarves. Or hats, anything that would cover up their tattoos upon entering the park. And actually, apparently, kind of got riled up about that and began emailing. <laughs> hey, seeing as how the story is about stirring up pot and tattoos, uh, I hate that uh, our friend Nick is, is not here to comment on it. This would be right in his wheelhouse. He would enjoy that. He would enjoy that. Let me give you a couple more. Pot and tattoos being big, important things for him. They are important to him. Speaking of uh, important things, Chase will be um, will be something that will interest you. Jamie Oliver. Do you know who Jamie Oliver is? Uh, no, he, I do not. He is a celebrity chef, Jamie Oliver. Oh, I think he has a show see. on Food Network. Uh, but he is a celebrity celebrity chef. He um, got into the spirit of April Fool's Day by sharing a photo of a new recipe um, <laughs> and and a picture of the final product um, and uh, let everyone know that what they were looking at was a new dish called placenta pie. Oh, cool. Super delicious and super delicious placenta is definitely the most underused sort of protein, ethical, sustainable, 
substance there is. And the great news is even vegans and vegetarians can enjoy it. For this recipe, wait, wait. For this recipe and 100 other placenta recipes, go to jamieoliver.com. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. i got a lot to say about this. Let's just kind of pause here for a moment. Okay. First of all, I'm no expert on either veganism or placentas, but isn't wouldn't a placenta be a sort of non-vegan food? Well, I don't know what vegans. What do they only eat vegetables? Uh, yeah, I believe that is correct. Well, there's no meat. There's no meat in a placenta, is there? I think in terms of no meat, it's it means no uh, parts of living or recently dead creatures. Well, you know what? That would be an interesting question to ask a vegan if we if we knew one we could call. Eat a placenta. <laughs> With, okay, I can't wait. Would that be against your veganism? <laughs> Look, that should be against everything. And, and people, I don't know if you know David, but there are. There are dudes who will actually – gosh, I'm, I'm hesitating to say this on a Christian podcast. And by the way, this is a Christian podcast if you're listening for the first time. Um, I know that's a shock. Yeah. But, uh, don't hang up um, just because of that. Stop listening. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't hang up. That's, that's interesting. How do you listen to podcasts, by the way? <laughs> you hit the disconnect button. Oh, I see. You okay. hang up on. I was thinking maybe you used a, a you know a payphone or something and put a, qu- a quarter in and called in and listened for a few minutes. You hang up on them. Okay. Yeah. yeah don't don't hang up on us. But uh, pe- people have been eating placentas for years uh, after birth because they say um, I don't know what they say. That's so disgusting. I've never looked into it. But I knew that I know that was a fad for a while. Uh, yeah, I think we've actually talked about that on the show one. It's supposed to be uh, – some people actually save that and make some kind of soup out of it or something because it's supposed to be super nutritious. Uh, you know what? I don't care. Those people are dumb. Uh, Stop. Okay. How about uh, how about uh, Redbox? Let's do a couple more of these. Redbox to um, uh, prank customers on April's full, April Fool's Day with a recruitment offer for kiosk ambassadors. And they actually showed a picture of a – of a red box booth. Now, if you're not familiar with red box, I, I, again, I don't know if they have these outside the U.S. Uh, but they're they're DD uh, rental facilities. It's just a little electronic box. You go up, um, go to the screen, pick the movie that you want to see, um, and put in your credit card, and then it out pops the movie. And it's just a, about the size of a phone booth. <laughs> they show a picture of a red box employee sitting inside of the booth. <laughs> On a stool, shoving movies out to people, <laughs> and they say they're looking for new kiosk ambassadors. You need to like movies and games. You need to be yeah. sitting in one place for eight hours or more. Yep. You you must be able to think inside the box, and you should not be afraid <laughs> of the dark. And that that sounds like a real tempting career choice there. Um, I bet you. Would. I saw that picture. It was pretty funny. Pretty, um. Man, there's such good ones. Florida State and Florida announcing they were merging into one school. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, here I'll do this last one. Gmail uh, introduced on Friday the new mic drop email feature, which makes it easier to have the last word on any email by sending the new uh, by using the new send plus mic drop button. Um, what this does is it would send your email. It would include a 
picture of a minion dropping a microphone and walking off camera, and then it would block the recipients from replying to the email. <laughs> the mic drop by Gmail. That is not a true thing. But if it was, I would use it. But well, I guess you probably heard David did that Google profusely apologized for this April Fool's joke after some people inadvertently sent out business emails with uh, this attached to it. And, and they felt embarrassed and that it was very unprofessional. And, and person who did that, you're right. That is embarrassing and very unprofessional. And that's on you. That was silly of you. You should feel bad. I don't think Google should feel bad, even though maybe they shouldn't have made it possible to do something like that. Um, if you're whining about that, you've got, you know, I, I think you just think it's ridiculous to whine about a joke like that that's not at all mean-spirited or harmful. Did you do it? No, oh, I no, didn't no. do it. That would require you actually reply to an email. So, my bad. I'm sorry. Hey, I have an upcoming book, How to Better Manage Your Email Life, and uh, principle number three is answer emails once a week. That's, you know, that's just being a productivity ninja, something you wouldn't understand. Answer them once a week in a major flood of responses that last over 30 minutes, and then people respond to your responses, and they can wait another week to hear back from you. <laughs> so, well... I'm still waiting on some of your responses to my flood of email. I see you were overwhelmed by my productivity. I absolutely was. Why don't we move into something, um, I don't know, that talks about the Bible or something since uh, it's a Christian podcast and uh, you know, we should probably do something like talk about some kind of Christian thing. What kind of Christian thing do you want to talk about, Chase? So I thought we would do a new segment this week, or we've probably done something like this in one of the past 95 episodes, but uh, I think this will be slightly new. What, what I want to do, uh, we'll, we'll just kind of call it uh, on the spot. And uh, as, as part of this new segment, what I'm going to do, is, David, is I'm going to ask you a question that puts you on the spot and hear your answer, which will be totally unrehearsed since you aren't prepared for this question. Are you ready? Okay, that sounds good. I, yes. Yeah, good, because I don't want you to be ready. Here's the question. At the moment, it's 9.59. You've told me for the last couple of hours that you needed to be done tonight by 10.30, and you've hinted around that there was some sort of important reason, but you never said what it was. So here it is to you, David McConnell. You are on the spot. Why do you need to be done by 10.30? Uh, um, that's 10.30 is when the new episode of TBN, Praise the Lord, comes on, and I would like to catch that on Saturday night before uh, before I go to bed. I do have a follow-up question. Um, are you ready for it? <laughs> yes. Here it is. Okay. Are you, are you lying? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> okay. Well, that was a great segment. I like uh, it. I think you know. Sometimes people complain that that when we do one of these short podcasts, we only do one segment. Well, so far we've had two segments. We've had April Fools, and uh, we've had um, on the spot. And now it's time for our third segment, which is probably going to be more biblical than the other two. No complaints. Which no complaints from anyone? Three <laughs> solid. Three solid segments. Three solid segments. Yes. 
that, to take up your time. What we're going to do is, uh, I think, what, was it Nick that sent us this video, or was it you, David? Uh, actually, Chase, you sent this video. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, just wanted to pat myself on the back for that. Okay. Uh, where did I get it? I guess I got it out of the Hall of Dogma, maybe. And so yeah, whoever I think, I think posted... I think most of us had seen it in the Hall of Dogma. I had already watched it. Okay. Well, whoever posted it, I don't know. I apologize for missing out on your shout-out. It could have been Rob. It could have been Nathan. Well, it wasn't Emmanuel because we haven't seen him in a while. Um, could have been Christian Funkhauser. Uh, what, whatever unnamed person it is. We got an interesting post this week. Or it could have been Brad Melton. Um, we got an interesting post this week that had a video. Hey, I, tell you, I tell you what um, we do. I tell you what we do. Well, let's give credit to Alex Kaposha. I like the one who posted it. Now, I don't think Alex actually did, but apparently we uh, always give other people credit for things that Alex So how about we give Alex credit for posting the video? That is a great plan. This video we're about to play is from longtime listener and good friend and heck of a guy, Alex Kaposha, uh, one of our number uh, top show contributors. And it is a video of friend of the show, Stephen Furtick, preaching a recent message about the good news. And so, David, what I'm going to do is going to, I'm going to play it. It's a two-minute clip, and uh, I'll have, probably have to edit the audio um, in a non-ninja-like way and, and get this in there. But you and I will be able to hear it, and then we're going to react to it, and you will have the first reaction. Sound good? Sounds good. Let's do it. Here we go. Three, two, one. Go. Um, will take you way further than the law ever could. I'll prove it to you. Let's say your child is in a horrible accident. Let's say they bust their head wide open on the monkey bars. And they fall off the monkey bars. The monkey bars are like 30 feet high. I'm making this an extreme example. And they fall down and they bust their head wide open. And you scoop them up and put them in the car to get them to the emergency room. And on the way to the emergency room, every sign you see says, uh, speed limit. How much attention do you pay to the numbers beneath the speed limit in that moment? Those numbers mean nothing to you. Why? Because somebody that you love is in trouble. And in that moment, any parent will break the law for the sake of love. Any human parent will break the law for the sake of love. And what will really turn your heart to God is not when you hear His laws, which were given for our good, by the way, but they were powerless because there wasn't enough leverage in our action to keep the law. So what God did when He sent His Son, and this is why we get excited in church, and this is why tears fill our eyes when we think about Jesus, and this is why the gospel is still good news in the world today, because God broke the law for love. I said to every sinner, God broke the law for love. I mean that he scooped you up in his arms. There's a piano there. I wow. mean that he's carrying you in his grace. I mean that what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the simple nature, God did by sending his son in the likeness of a simple man. Wow. 
Wow. I, I right. didn't notice that I have, the first time. I didn't either. I have two reactions. Number one, we have got to, having at the Hall of Dogma Church, someone the the piano behind us or some type of musical instrument while we're preaching, and we reach a crescendo. That, yeah, man, that would be so effective. Yeah, that would be effective. We have not. That that is that's probably what um, kept us under the uh, 750 person mark on on Sundays. I bet if we did that, we could go over the 750 mark, get up into the 800s. Not that that's important, but I'm just saying. You know, no, that might. You better believe that's important. All right. Second, it's, second one is. I'm really curious. From would the Bible like situational ethics? Uh, if the Bible tells us to not um, uh, to obey the governing authorities, so we should respect the speed limits. Would the Bible give us permission to not do that if we were trying to rush our child to the room? I think Stephen has brought up an important question, although he gave the answer. What do you think, Chase? Is it biblical to break the speed limit if you're trying to get your child to the emergency? That's actually a good question. And oddly enough, I have been in that situation uh, more than once. Uh, once with my son, and actually, I'm sorry, twice with my son, in which he had what we thought was a severe asthma attack, and he was getting worse and worse. It ended up being sort of a combination between asthma and uh, a, sp- a spasm of his vocal cords, which wasn't as quite as dangerous as we thought, but. Uh, he was uh, panicking, and so that made it more dangerous. And both times that happened, I sped to the emergency room. Uh, ended up one time didn't even make it. Had to pull off and uh, uh, on this uh, to pull off at a fire station. Had to call nine one one. Had to pull off at a fire station, and the uh, uh, the fire medics met us outside the fire station, which was really kind of awesome. Uh, and they they just my wife and I hopped out of the car. They hop, they all hopped in, crowded around John Caveman, and took good care of him. And that was really awe inspiring to see. And of course, we were just broken with worry. The other time was uh, Chloe um, got trucked at a soccer game and started hyperventilating and couldn't stop. So we rushed her to the emergency room. I will say, all three times I probably exceeded the speed limit. Uh, not. Uh, recklessly, not you know, not ridiculously, but all three times I exceeded the speed limit, and um, hmm, I don't know how I don't know how guilty I felt about that. Now, was I guilty in God's eyes? That's that's actually a good ethical question. Mm, that is a good ethical question. Yeah, I don't know if 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 how people, I mean, we would all speed uh, if if our children were hurt. But it just made me feel like Stephen was you know pretty strong on that point. Uh, obviously, that is not the main. Uh, that is not the main thing that brings up. Stephen Furtick said that God broke the law in order to um, to save us. That He broke the law for love. Now, most of us who are Bible readers probably immediately minds came the verse: Jesus fulfilled all. He did not break the law. Uh, in order to uh, in order to save us, so Jesus loved us enough to fulfill the law on our behalf. Uh, and uh, Stephen said that God broke the law for love. So that's the uh, kind of the main controversial part of the message. Uh, my initial response is this: I have 
followed Stephen Furtick a little over the years. I used to listen to some of his sermons way back uh, in the beginning, like when he first got started. I actually read one of his books one time, Sun Stand Still, uh, which I actually thought, honestly, the theology in it was not bad. Like It really was a theology book, but the theology that was in it, I didn't. They think was all that bad. Um, since that time, though, uh, that was probably seven years ago. Uh, since that time, I, I don't really enjoy Stephen's preaching as much, and and I think this is part of why. I I think he tends to um, try to reach people emotionally, which I am not against at all. But I I sometimes think that. He trades truth for sound bites. Necessarily mean he um, uh, that he, he tells falsehoods on purpose, but I mean, I think he was trying to make a really good point that on Sunday, and he was trying to make a really good um, uh, sound bite for the audience. That yes, just like you as a parent would break the law for the love of your kid. That God broke the law. He broke down, I think is what he was saying. Like he, he, he broke the law. He did away with it uh, on account on, on of love for you. And, and that's the kind of thing that would stir emotions in people. The problem was it wasn't theologically accurate. And I, I think we should preach in such a way that does stir emotions in people, but I think it must be theologically accurate, and that's the thing that um, really stood out to me about what Stephen was doing there. We, we need to do both, and I I think we should do both. I think Stephen traded in one for another in that message. I think that's a, I think that's a fair critique. Um, my mama always taught me that if I'm going to um, bring a critique or say something negative uh, to somebody I need to I need to open up with a couple of positives so that um, um, I'm not a critic but you know it's the, the, the criticism might be constructive so I'm going to give a couple of positives first and uh, number one I must say that uh, Furtick's t-shirt game is on point um, really? That is a that's, oh, that is a nice gray T-shirt. That's that's awesome. Okay, I consider myself almost an expert in the field of T-shirts. Uh, I have a lot of them. Uh, I don't know if mine are nearly as cool as his, but that's a strong T-shirt. Uh, it went well with his jeans. Um, so that's point number one. Point number two is uh, he's got a strong beard game going too. Uh, nice full. Trim, manly, manly beard. So uh, that, that's a couple of positive things to open up with. I thought and, you were going to compliment him on his uh, his arm on the biceps. Uh, you know what? He's he looks like uh, he he looks like he does lift, bro. Um, he I guarantee does, this. But, he he lifts me and you put uh, No, I don't think he lifts more than than me and you put together. Um. I can bench 225 pounds uh, 37 times. I mean, the number of times he lifts a week exceeds the number of times you and I lift per week. Oh, I got you. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, that 37 times is not 37 times in a row, uh, which is how that 
that is uh, normally calculated. You know, just 37 times. Just in general, like over a 48-hour period or something like that? Yeah, maybe 48 hours, maybe maybe a week, something like that, you know, whatever. Okay, well, I think um, you met your criteria for two positive things. And good, they, good. They, that was important. Very genuine, so go ahead. Now let's critique. Uh, let's critique a little bit. You know, David, I am known for the expression, the phrase. It's kind of my trademark. Be afraid of culminating in aphorisms. Um, yeah, if I had a, a nickel for every time say I that said, all the time. I do, I do. I, I, young seminarians, classes I teach. It's the first thing I, out of my mouth. I say, gentlemen, uh, be afraid in preaching of culminating in aphorisms. Um, I'm just kidding, but I, I do think I'm what you said. <laughs> I, I do think what what you said is is really uh, correct. That Furtick labored a lot with his illustration and his point to build up to a uh, essentially a climax of this this one statement that was supposed to be emotional and powerful and piercing, and there was even music behind it. God broke the law to to show his love for sinners, you know, and, and, and he said that's the thing that makes makes people cry. That's the thing that uh, that draws people to him. And I, I look, you, we, we had an extended talk this week about uh, going for the emotions in preaching. Yeah, we and did. I think that's I think that's good. I, I think that's appropriate. I, I think. Uh, one of the things I've learned psychologically and is psychology and ministry don't often go well together. But when people make decisions in heightened states of emotion, very often those decisions are more concreted than the ones they make in lower states of emotion. So uh, I'm actually, uh, David, you you had a great Jonathan Edwards quote. I hope you bring it up later uh, about preaching to the emotions. I'm with Edwards on that. I think we should preach to the emotions. But when we do it, we got to be careful that we're we're doing it in a truthful sort of way. And I I think Furtick's wrong. I, I think God didn't break the law to reach sinners. I think it's much more, and especially he didn't break the law in the sense that that Furtick alleges he did, in the way that a parent would break the law in speeding uh, to get his, a child to the hospital. That, that, is, that is really a really poor illustration. Because essentially and, he was saying the parent ignores the law that's what that, that, that yes. that's the form in which they break it is they ignore it they pay no attention to it which is not what god was doing at all christ was the culmination of the law although the entire law had pointed to him to begin with so it wasn't he wasn't ignoring all of the commands he was fulfilling them in jesus so it's it's a, it's a exactly. like you said it's a really, really bad really really bad illustration it is bad illustration, and look, I, I, I've made dozens of bad illustrations that don't stack up. So this I can, is not, I mean, you may you may rattle off a few that you've done that just to, that didn't work out too well. You went, if you could share some of the times I misspoke as well, that would probably be helpful. Okay. Also, um, well, I will. I wouldn't be done by. 10, I might be done by ten thirty in the morning. But uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, we, we've all given bad illustrations. 
We have, and and so the purpose of this look, I, I'm not a big Furtick fan. I, I don't, I don't like his methods, but I, I, I you know, I do see that, that, that there's a lot of people that supposedly have been won to Christ through that ministry. If that is the case, I rejoice. Um, the purpose of this is not to criticize or critique the man, but to talk about this this issue of, of, of whether God broke the law in Christ. And as you said, David, you, you've, you've kind of hinted around at it a couple of times. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5.17. He says, don't assume that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And that doesn't, that doesn't sound like somebody who's breaking the law to get their kids to the hospital. Jesus didn't break the law. He's above the law. Literally the only one who's above the law. And he fulfilled, he completed the run of the law. Almost like a relay race, if you can visualize it this way. And probably this is going to be an illustration that breaks down. But the law got the baton as far as it could. Jesus took the baton and finished the race and won the race. Um, in Romans 7, uh, Paul talks about this. He said, uh, he, he does say, we are released from the law. Now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. So, Ferdick's uh, right in that the law is no longer, well, he's not right in that it's broken. He is at least in the neighborhood of right in that it is no longer applicable, not because God broke it, but because God completed it. It was finished. It finished its run. Now we're in a new covenant, a new testament. And, and so one of the things I kind of, I think Furtick, one of the, maybe the implications of what he's saying that I think is worth pointing out is just that, that we are not under the law anymore. And I think there's a lot of Christians that, that, that kind of feel bound by various commands of the Old Testament or don't understand how to interpret the, the Old Testament. Uh, but, but essentially, we are released from the law. We have, we're dead. We're, we died to the law. Um, Paul uses the illustration if uh, he uses the illustration of a husband and wife, and and says that the wife is free um, if her husband is is died. Um, if she gives herself to another man, she is not an adulteress, and she's free because uh, the, the husband died. And in a similar way. Through Christ, we have died, and we are therefore free from the old law, and now under the new law, way of the Spirit, not the old letter of the law. And so that's that's exciting. That's good. It's good to talk about that. I just think it's not great to kind of cavalierly suggest that God broke the law because He loved us so much. I, I agree, and and. And again, I, I've not listened to Furtick in several years. I can actually go a little further in giving him some confidence. Um, going back to where I, when I read that book, Sun Stands Still, um, the book was essentially talking about believing God for impossible things. It was a book that was pushing people toward faith. And and I 
really thought the book was well done, and 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 uh, I feel like it was done in such a way that was a um, a, a prosperity gospel type teaching. Um, if you just have enough faith, anything can happen. As a matter of fact, Stephen Furtick told a story that I've always remembered in about his grandfather, who I believe was a pastor, who prayed day after day after day after day for for his wife, Stephen's grandmother, to be healed of Alzheimer's. And as Stephen put it, the son did not stand still in that situation. And Stephen's grandmother was not healed on, on this side of heaven from Alzheimer's. But at the end of it, after she, uh, I believe she had passed away, um, end of that, um, Stephen recounts how his grandfather said, you know, uh, while he, he, while God didn't heal her of, of all summer, he gave me something greater. He gave me the gift of being able to truly love her the way Christ loved the church. I was able to love her unconditionally in a way where uh, there was nothing returned for me. Um, and, and that's how Christ has loved me, and I got to experience that and got to love her in that way. Well, that's a very profound story, and it was very well handled. As for Stephen to explain what happens when the sun doesn't stand still. Yeah, he still pushed people toward faith. So I thought it was a well done book. It was, you know, I'm a firm believer, like uh, our friend Sam Knowles says all the time, you can chew the meat and spit the bones out. And 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 I thought that that book was full of some some good things. So um, Stephen, that book and reading it blessed me. And so I, I will say that about about what he wrote. I've not really listened to him much in my five years, so I don't really know what kind of road he's went down or if he's just kind of on the same road. But I really feel what he was doing was just trying to reach people emotionally. I agree with everything that you just said, Chase. From a theological perspective, he was off. Um, but I, I just I, – I do think, and I just want to say that I believe there's kind of this idea – uh, in in our preaching today, that you you know you either have to be emotional uh, or be emotional, or you can tell people the truth, but you can't do both. Um, that that the maybe really hardcore reform guys or something like that would say, you know, you just you just preach truth and just preach the gospel and you put it out there and 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 God does His work, and I absolutely agree with that. At the end of the day. God must move on his word for it to save anyone. Uh, I, I believe that. But I also believe there is a place to be emotional and reach people's emotions. And Jonathan Edwards uh, said this. Uh, Chase, you mentioned a moment ago, but but Jonathan Edwards uh, said this about his preaching. I should think myself in the way it is my duty to raise the affections of my hearers as high as I possibly can provided that they are affected with nothing but truth and with affections that are not disagreeable to the nature of what they are affected with. And and, and so, you know, for, for Edwards he said, I need to raise people's affections and I need to reach them emotionally. I just need to do it with the truth of God's word and in such a way that as their emotions and their affections are raised, it is agreeable to God's nature. And I believe that. I think that should be an aim in our preaching. And I think there are men who do that, and they do a really good job of it. And and I don't think you have to give one off for the other. I don't think you have to. Um, I don't think you have to to reach people's emotions, 
by by not being concerned about theology and not being accurate. I also think if you're accurate, that doesn't mean you can't reach people's emotions. I believe you can do both, and I think we should strive to do both in our uh, in our teaching. Chase, you, you rightly brought up in that discussion that if people are too aimed at trying to reach people's emotions, end up putting too much emphasis on maybe the performance preaching or the 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 sound of the preaching and if they do that they may ignore um the power of god which is obviously at the end of the day the only hope we have in preaching which is that god god's power would be on it so we we should try to focus on reaching people's emotions so much that we forfeit uh seeking god's power in in preaching i agree with that it's a good word um, I think it. I think it is. Uh, it is dangerous to. Uh, let me let me say it in a po- positive way, not in a negative way. I think the single most important uh, thing for a preacher to focus on is 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 preaching the truth of the word under the empowered by the power of God. Um, and what I mean by that is a sermon must be tr- a message must be biblically faithful and true, and the messenger must be abiding in Christ in a radical sort of way, so that he can, you know, preach with the kind of power that a, a John Hyde would preach with, a man of of deep abiding prayer, but like people like that. I think that's the most important thing. Now. Going for emotions is good and right, and we should do it. Being eloquent is is good in the proper context. You know, Paul talks about in First Corinthians that to, that he did not want to preach the gospel with mere eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I don't think he means you should sound like a bumbling idiot, or you shouldn't prepare, or you shouldn't practice. Uh, or you shouldn't work on diction or things like that. I think yeah. he's saying that eloquence is not the most important thing. Don't preach so, like yes, you do this podcast. No, preach preach better than that. Do better than that. Be more godly, more rooted in the word, more anointed, and more eloquent. And maybe roughly the same level of emotion. Hey, I hope rooted in the word. I just don't think we're very eloquent. <laughs> at least, well, I, At least I'm not on this show. I hope I'm more eloquent in preaching than I am uh, on this podcast. I think of that like, hey, could anyone listen to him? <laughs> I, uh, I I don't think people listen to the Gospel Friends for our professional eloquence. I will say that much. Uh, I, yeah, I don't think so either. I, I don't really know why they listen. Now, well, well, David, we are fast running out of time, so I have a joke for you. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. If if Hillary, uh, and this is not meant mean-spiritedly, so don't take offense, but here's my joke. If Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are in a boat and it capsizes, who survives? Um, Trump. That is a good guess. The answer is America. <laughs> well, on that note, let me say that for those feel like this episode of the Gospel Friends was too short, thank you for that, and uh, you may be right. However, we're going to uh, give you a treat. Lord willing, in just a couple of days, we're going to release a kind of a little mini podcast where we continue on the series we did uh, the last 
which is Adventures in Ministry. So uh, if you happen to be live in our homes or living rooms right now, you'll be able to hear that segment in just a moment. But if you are not in our home or our living room right now, uh, which I hope you're not because I wouldn't want to shoot you. But um, or Don't shoot your family. No, I, I more or less meant if you were a listener. Never mind. Anyway, if you're not in our homes, you will hear it uh, in, in just a couple of days. So check back for a, a new episode of The Gospel Friends later this week uh, where we uh, continue in our uh, series we were doing called Adventures of the Ministry. Uh, hey, Chase, it's been a pleasure being with you for this episode of The Gospel Friends. David, I concur. I couldn't have enjoyed it more. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys in a few days. Peace. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is a friend of mine.